0: were committing a crime against the United States. And the hero was pursuing them in order to stop them. And uh, as insurance to get the hero to drop his pursuit, the bad guys kidnapped the hero's daughter and threatened to harm her unless he would stop. Well, of course he didn't. And he rescued his daughter and won the day. Uh, a fun moment in the movie was when the hero snatched his daughter from certain disaster and she said, I knew you'd come. What took you so long? Because she had incredible confidence in her father. This evening I want to consider together the truth of the sovereignty of God and the cross of Jesus Christ. The truth that God, our Father, was in control every moment of the event that accomplished our salvation, our rescue from sin and death. Jesus was in no way a powerless victim of man's evil conduct. He was not a weak victim of bullies. Rather, everything happened exactly according to the plan of our loving Father who loved the world so much that he gave his only Son. Everything happened exactly as the plan of the Son who, for the joy that was before him, endured the cross. Everything happened exactly according to the plan of the Holy Spirit Who ministered to Jesus and strengthened Jesus in his human weakness? For nothing could stand in the way of God rescuing his children from sin and death. I want to review tonight the truth that the cross was no surprise to God. Listen to some of these verses. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. That doesn't sound like a surprise. In Romans 8, the Bible says, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. And then in Acts chapter 2, Peter says in the middle of his sermon, This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross because that was the plan. And then a few chapters later, when the church gathered to pray, here's how they prayed. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, his anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. (laughs) This was the plan. God knew that we were in trouble. God knew that we needed to be rescued. You see, the sin of Garden of Eden was no surprise to God, but he created anyway, because he already had a plan. And the moment... That Adam and Eve ate of the forbidden fruit. That plan was put into action. When God sacrificed the animal, clothed them with his skins, and made the prophecy about the one who would crush the head of the serpent. And the Bible tells us in John chapter 10 that Jesus embraced this plan. Listen to Jesus' own words. He says, the reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life, only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. And all through the ordeal of the arrest and trials and crucifixion, Jesus could have called 10,000 legions of angels to rescue him, couldn't he? But that wasn't the plan. And so what I'd like to do is I'd like to review for us the last 24 hours of the light of Christ. And just review for you this marvelous, incredible Jesus. Who was powerful and totally in control every moment of the experience. Let's start with Thursday evening in the upper room. Thursday evening in the upper room is when they celebrated the Passover. And Jesus entered into the Passover celebration. And then he interrupted and he said, Gentlemen, I want you to know that this bread and this cup of redemption speaks about me for what is going to happen in the next 24 hours. Particularly the lamb and the blood on the doorpost, he said. Remind you of me. Remember me. Because I am the blood on the doorpost. Now reflect with me that Jesus knew that Judas was going to betray him. The whole time. That was not a surprise. In fact, Jesus Told the disciples ahead of time that he was going to do this and then he said to, Jesus, to Judas what you have to do do it quickly he was not surprised at Peter's denial for he predicted that it was going to happen ahead of time he knew it was going to happen Peter before the rooster crows you will deny me three times In the upper room, Jesus demonstrated, I got this. (laughs) I'm totally in control. Thursday evening, they go to Gethsemane. And when they're in Gethsemane, Jesus sweats drops of blood. Now, the agony was not for the physical suffering that he was about to have on his life. Um, While it was significant, horrible, unimaginable. But the real agony of Jesus was when he became sin for us. That was the agony of Jesus. The perfect, sinless Son of God, God himself, was distressed and tormented. And he had consternation in his life. He was filled with appalled reluctance, troubled, loathing aversion of the sinfulness, dread, alarmed, dismay, overwhelmed with sorrow, deeply distressed, horror struck with sin being placed upon him, overwhelmed with sorrow. He sweat drops of blood because the sinless divine Son of God would have the sins of all mankind rolled over onto His account and He would literally carry them in His person. Yet through it all, Jesus said, Not My will, but Thine be done. Reflect on a time when you're upset about something and you roll around in bed. You can't sleep. Can any of you relate to that? I mean, it's, there's something's going on, there's something that's really big in your life and it's just not going well and you roll around and you think about it and you roll around and you think about it and look at the clock and it's 1 o'clock. And then you roll around and you think about it some more and you look at the clock and it's one fifteen. <laughs> And then you roll around some more and you roll around and you think, oh, it must be morning and it's 120. Multiply that a million times and that's the stress that was on Jesus. Contrast that with the disciples who slept. (laughs) Fell, Fell right asleep. See, Jesus knew what was coming yet he entered into it strong determination mighty hero then Friday morning comes the arrest now this is very interesting the things that happened during the arrest of Jesus I want you to imagine with me an avalanche Uh, on a mountain in the Rocky Mountains. Now, an avalanche with boulders and trees and debris, experts tell us that avalanches gain speed as they come down the mountain. And millions and millions of tons of rock gain speed. They say that it can travel up to 100 miles an hour. Now imagine an avalanche descending on Gethsemane. And if it was me, I would go, Oh, I better get what I got to get done, done, get out of the way of this avalanche. Because it's coming, always looking over my shoulder and wondering, Do I have time? Do I have time? Do I have time? Listen to what Jesus did Judas comes up to him. And Jesus says very calmly, friend, one more time, Jesus would reach out to Judas. Avalanches come in Jesus, and Jesus would respond, if it gets too close, I'll just tell it to stop. Then the guards came up to him. We're looking for Jesus of Nazareth. One more time, Jesus would display to himself who he was. And he said, I am he. And the guards fell backwards. The avalanche is coming, Jesus says. It's not time yet. The avalanche, just just stop it. I'm not done yet. Total control. And then he says to the captain of the guard, uh, let these other guys go. You know, let, let these guys go. Because the Bible says that he lost none who were entrusted to him. and He cared for them. And the avalanche is coming closer and closer. And Jesus looked at it and said, stop, I'm not ready yet. It's not time yet. Stop. Takes his time. Very calmly says, Peter says to Peter, he's got a lesson for Peter. One more lesson for Peter. And Peter cuts off the ear of the servant. And Jesus says, Peter, 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 one more lesson I got for you. And he calmly says, you know, put your sword away. Shall I not drink the cup my father has given me? But the avalanche is coming, Jesus. You got to get out of the way. I'll just tell it to Stop. I'm in control here. And then you know what he does? Puts the ear back on the guy. Another lesson. Totally in control. Nothing happens until he says it's going to happen. He continues to show control of this event on Friday morning during his unjust trials. He did not defend himself against his accusers. He reminded the officials of how openly he taught in the temple. He always taught openly. He always knew just exactly when his time was to come. Remember the times when he said, Oh, my time is not yet. Well, that's because he decided when. Nobody else decided when. He decided when. And so he told the guys... You guys remember, I never kept any secrets. I had no reason to keep a secret because I'm totally in control. I make the decisions of when I get arrested. And then he teaches, he's getting arrested and he begins to teach them about the second coming. And he tells them that they'll see him coming in the clouds. He's always teaching and it's not time yet for his time to be over. So Friday morning, later in the morning, he goes before Pilate and Herod. And there he openly declares that he's the Messiah. All through his trials, he's continuing to teach, continuing to sow the seeds of the word of God. He didn't fall into the games of Herod who wanted a miracle. Jesus said, no, I'm not going to do those, those types of games. I'm just going to tell you the truth, Herod. Herod. And he witnessed to them while he was being tried unjustly. And then he was handed over to the Romans and they beat him and scourged him and ripped open his back and put a crown of thorns on his head. And then he was carrying his cross through the streets of Jerusalem and stumbling and falling and getting whipped along the way. And the people were wailing and crying out for him. Oh, Jesus, poor Jesus, poor Jesus. And Jesus looked at him and said, You're weeping for the wrong people. Don't weep for me, because this is exactly why I came. And this is exactly what I want to happen. So he goes to the cross. The Bible says at 9 o'clock, They take spikes and put them through his wrists, and spikes through his feet and ankles. But he's not done yet. He cries out and says, Father, forgive them. Amazing. One more time, he cries out for those he came to save. And then the thief on the cross, they start arguing with each other and one of them comes along and says, Jesus, remember me in your kingdom. And Jesus, while he's nailed and bleeding and suffering and hurting, one more time, today, you will be with me in paradise. Incredible strength. It's because he was in total control. And then his mother comes with John. Oh, he's not done yet. The avalanche is coming. Stop. Not ready yet. (laughs) Mother, behold your son. John, behold your mother. Everything perfectly orchestrated. And then he cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now, don't be dismayed at that statement, because that's not a statement of weakness. Bible scholars tell us that when someone quotes the first verse of a psalm, he wants you to be reminded of the entire psalm. And if you read Psalm 22, Psalm 22 describes the cross, describes how, how the soldiers... Began to gamble for his garments. How he, every bone in his body was dislocated. How he thirsted. How he agonized. The whole psalm and what he is doing, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Is he's reminding people that this was this was prophesied ahead of time. But there was also something profound that happened during that moment. And I'd like to refer to the words of John Calvin. When he writes this If Christ had died only a bodily death, it would have been ineffectual. Unless his soul shared in the punishment, he would have been the redeemer of bodies alone. He paid a greater and more excellent price in suffering in his soul the terrible torments of a condemned and forsaken man. his soul had to have the torment in order for his mission to be complete. But it's not just the spiritual suffering because he then said something that reminds us of his humanity. and He says, I thirst. Why did he say that? Because he wanted everyone to know that even though he is God, he is man. And he says, I thirst to remind us that he was a human being, so he could be the substitute for a human being. And then finally, the time came. Finally, the time came when he said, It is finished. Mission accomplished. It's not Judas and the Jewish leaders and the Romans who finished their brutal deed. It was Jesus who finished his assignment. It has and forever will remain finished. And just to add an exclamation point, the fact that he was totally in control, Father, into thy hands I commit my spirit. And that's just what John tells us he said. No one took his life from him. He controlled his life and he gave it up at just the right time not a moment too soon not a moment too late and we know that the sacrifice worked because the temple curtain was torn in two from the top to bottom the mission was complete jesus fulfilled everything that he intended to fulfill not a moment too late not a moment too soon and it worked. Well then in the afternoon there was the burial. The death had to be verified because the Sabbath was coming and so in order to speed the death of the people hanging on the cross they would break their legs because the only way a victim could could breathe was to push themselves up and take a breath and then they would relax again because all their bones were dislocated and their rib cage would be so low that they couldn't get another breath so they'd leave their legs up again so they could breathe and if you break your legs can't do that well they came to jesus legs were already here he was already dead so they didn't have to break his legs Because Psalm 22 said not a bone in his body was broken. Well, just to make sure, they thrust a spear in his side and out came blood and water, which is a medical verification of death. He was dead. But you know that even after he died, he was still in control. Listen to what Isaiah says. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. The Bible prophesied that Jesus would die and that he would be buried in a human grave, in the grave of a sinner. And look what happened in Luke chapter 23. Now there was a man named Joseph, a member of the council, a good and upright man who did not consent to to their decision and action. He came from the Judean town of Arimathea, and he himself was waiting for the kingdom of God. Going to Pilate, he asked for Jesus' body. And then he took it down, wrapped it in linen cloth, and placed it in a tomb cut in the rock, which no one had yet been laid. <laughs> Even after he was dead... He was still the master of it all. You know, I am so impressed with Jesus. I mean, I don't know how I could be more impressed with Jesus. Because he rescued us like a father rescues his child. Nothing could deter him. And he did it according to his plan. So what can we conclude from this? Well, I have two conclusions. And then I'd like to invite us to maybe respond to one of these conclusions. Number one, sin must be extremely horrible. For God to do what he did, the way that he did it, sin must be really incredibly bad. (laughs) Horribly bad. For God to give of himself and Jesus. To go through what Jesus went through. For God to willingly do it. For Jesus to willingly enter into it. For the Holy Spirit to facilitate it. Sin, it must be terrible. It must be awful. And beloved maybe there's a sin in your life that you're saying you know i don't want i don't want to add i don't want to add anything to the suffering of christ my sin was so horrible that the son of god had to come and go through all this i'd like to invite us to come up there's some notes with pens here and just maybe write a sin that you're struggling with and put it in between the ropes and just put it on the cross and say you know Jesus you did this on purpose it's my time to enter into it on purpose too but the second thing this reminds me not only is sin incredibly horrible but God's love must be wonderful beyond comprehension. His love for you and me is off the charts. And maybe you might want to just come up and write your name and say, I give myself completely to the King of Kings, the Master, the Hero who rescued me put your name on that cross as well and then just be reminded of this if crucifixion and carrying the sins of the world in his person could not derail Jesus purpose for living he will certainly complete his purpose for you and for me Nothing could deter the cross. Nothing. Nothing can deter His work in your life either. Do you believe that? Boy, I do. If the cross means anything, it means that if God wants it done, it's going to get done. So maybe you'd like to come up and say, Today, I begin a new chapter, and I'm going I'm to turn from this sin. And I'm going to turn to God. And I'm going to begin to live different. Write that sin on the cross. Or maybe you might want to say, Jesus, you were all in, and so am I. Worship team's going to come up and sing a song. Maybe two songs. And if you would like to come up and fill out a card, you don't have to. This is totally as God leads you. And put something on the cross and indicate indicate your response to the deliberate, masterfully accomplished purpose of Jesus Christ on Good Friday. Put it on the cross. Return to your seat and we'll close our service as godly.